0: For
1: just about every high school has students doing science projects. But one school just outside of Washington, D.C. was the first school ever where students designed a satellite that was actually launched into space. Three, two,
2: one, ignition. We have.
1: We're talking about Thomas Jefferson High School for Science and Technology. And that's just one example of how extraordinary this school is. Here's another. Its computer lab includes a supercomputer. The students at Thomas Jefferson, or TJ as everyone calls it, have some of the highest scores on standardized tests in the country. And TJ holds the top spot in U.S. News & World Report's ranking of public high schools. And yeah, it's a public school, not one of those private schools with tuition as high as a college. And as a public school, it should be open to all students in the district. And that's where the problem lies. Not surprisingly, more students want to go to this school than there are slots. A lot more. There are about 550 new freshmen every year out of roughly 3,000 or so that typically apply. That means that out of every six students that apply, just one gets a spot. So who gets those spots? For many years, that question has largely been decided by a test. A science and math test developed specifically for the school the TJ Admissions Test. That approach fits with what's probably the most popular narrative of American education, that the best students get to go to the best schools. For a long time in this country, that has just seemed to make sense. But in the case of Thomas Jefferson, the approach has detractors. And increasingly, a lot of them. In this diverse county, where 36% of the students are Black or Hispanic, the number of those students at TJ has long been
3: near zero. Uh, the number of
1: Black students was too small to actually public report. That's Akshay Devarakanda, who graduated from Thomas Jefferson High School a decade ago. And he's talking about a report the school issued. And I think the guideline was if it was less
3: than 10, then Fairfax County couldn't publicly report that, the actual number of students. And so they put this TS, for, short for too small, and their admissions were showing, like, the number of Black students was too small to actually report. And
1: that really galvanized the alumni community. That admissions report was released last year, right around the same time as George Floyd was murdered by police in Minneapolis, sparking a worldwide call for racial justice and renewed questions about systemic racism. And that's roughly when a TJ alumni group that Akshay is part of called on the school to change the way it does admissions. And this alumni group wasn't alone. State leaders were also starting to ask that selective public high schools across Virginia, they're called governor's schools, enroll a more diverse group of students. So last fall, the Fairfax County Public School Board proposed a radical change to the TJ admissions process. The idea was to scrap the admissions test and replace it with a lottery of students who met a minimum academic standard.
0: And we have a myth out there that the test gets us the best.
1: That's Scott Braybrand the superintendent of Fairfax County Public Schools. That's from an interview he did in October with the Kojo Namdi Show on the local NPR station there.
0: We have kids of merit who are qualified to go to TJ and they're not getting in through a barrier of a standardized test.
1: For many, the TJ admissions test had been a vaunted symbol of the merit-based education system. But suddenly school officials were talking about it as the enemy, as a barrier. And not surprisingly... The school board's proposal drew some tough questions from parents, who started turning up for school board meetings.
4: Ma'am, your connection had you going in and out, and we missed a great deal of that. If you could...
1: <laughs> or at least joining these school board meetings via Zoom, since this was the height of the pandemic and so much was happening remotely.
4: Millions came to America after being inspired by the Declaration of Independence.
1: That's Alice Gall, a parent of two in Fairfax County whose family immigrated from China.
4: So 23 years ago, I came to America believing that in America, one can work extremely hard achieving true happiness and liberty. Colors or race were not the lens I looked through at America, but rather work ethics.
1: Here is what struck me when I first listened to that parent talking to the school board. She has been playing by one set of rules, it sounds like. And now these school administrators are about to toss the game board
4: in the air. So is it not about having to earn it based on merit, but based on color? Do you really want our children to grow up in a nation where they will not be judged by the content of their character, but the color of their skin? And You call this progressive?
1: I said a minute ago there was some pushback by parents. That is an understatement. The effort to change admissions at TJ has dominated discussion at school board meetings for months. And the idea has drawn protests, with parents waving signs that say, reward hard work, not luck, and merit matters.
0: Are we going to fight for TJ's life? Yes!
1: And two different lawsuits have been filed against the school system and its leaders, arguing that TJ must be reserved for the most qualified students, based on merit. That, these parents say, is its public charter, and changing it isn't even up to these school officials. If you're thinking this is all sounding a little bit like that podcast, Nice White Parents, you're not wrong. But there are some important differences here. For one thing, many of the most vocal opponents of the changes to TJ aren't white. They're recent immigrants, many of them from China, India, and they're the ones quoting America's founding fathers. Welcome to Bootstraps, a podcast series about merit, myth, and education. I'm Jeff Young, a reporter at EdSurge and host of the weekly EdSurge podcast. This is the second of a six-episode series we are co-producing with our friends at the journalism nonprofit Open Campus. We are unpacking popular narratives about who gets what opportunities in America and wondering how it could all be different. Last episode, we went back in time to the 1830s to talk about the surprising origins of the phrase, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Today, we are Zooming right to the present, to a debate that is still playing out at this elite public high school. I was curious to hear more from that parent we heard at the school board meeting earlier, so I reached out to her by Zoom. Alice Gao and her husband live in Fairfax County, and they have two kids. Their 14-year-old son is in middle school, and their 8-year-old daughter is homeschooled. Gao has an advanced degree, and her husband is finishing a PhD in cybersecurity. As it turns out though, her son isn't actually too keen on even trying to apply to TJ.
4: I think he's more an outdoor person, like rock climbing is more appealing to him than STEM. Even so, she decided
1: to speak out because she thinks it's important to keep the standards for TJ as high as possible, as something to strive for.
4: You know, it's like you see a Mount Everest, whether I get there or my son will get there or not, but that's one good aspiration to have in life. And she says she wants people to understand that she
1: comes from a culture that values hard work academically, even if that means making sacrifices.
4: In our society, in our community, we have a saying, that just means all kinds of things, hundreds of things are all below. Um, Reading and learning and education is the number one priority. And in Confucius Analytics, the very first thing he said To be able to learn and practice what you learned, isn't that a joy of life?
1: She and many parents in this debate stress that they welcome diversity. But they feel the current system of deciding who gets into TJ is fair. And that people that want it the most are the ones working the hardest. And therefore, they're the ones getting in. And they worry that proposed changes would end up lowering the standards of the school and making it not the number one high school anymore. But the problem with the current system of deciding who gets in, according to those pushing for changes, is that the traditional tool for making that judgment is a test. And they say what the test ends up really measuring is the child's access to preparation for that test. In fact, a cottage industry has grown up in Fairfax County of companies that offer test prep classes just to help kids do well on this TJ test. But Alice Gow feels she knows parents in her community that don't have much money and still find a way to pay for the test prep. Describing parents who have never bought a coffee at Starbucks because they save their resources for education. And she refuses to dwell on any barriers to achievement.
4: All of us will tell you, yes, American dreams are still alive. We don't understand why people say they are discriminated and there are no opportunities. For goodness sake, all the libraries are free. The first time I walked into a library, I was 18 in college. Here, all the libraries are around you. So when you say there are no uh, like education resources, for us, we don't see crisis. We see opportunities here.
1: This idea came up a lot at the school board meetings, that different groups maybe place different weights on the importance of education, and that therefore the current system is working. I heard the most dramatic example of that case being made by a parent at a meeting in early October.
2: Hello, FCPS board. Uh, hopefully you can hear and see me. Um, thank you for your efforts and this opportunity to speak with you. Um, I want to start off with a personal journey not very dissimilar to many immigrants. Uh, my, fa- my wife and I started our journey here in the U.S. with literally nothing from zero. At school, um, I scrubbed dishes from 6 to 8 and ran to school at 8 a.m. So if you think uh, we're privileged, um, you're mistaken. We work hard, and that's what we teach our kids. And as a family, and that's what we've prioritized. We've prioritized education.
1: This parent was particularly offended by an argument he had heard by reformers that compared students taking test prep classes for TJ to athletes taking performance-enhancing drugs.
2: Uh, my kid spent a summer for prep. It cost us 600 not the 15 k being claimed. I know so many black high schoolers who spend summers getting strength training, skills coaching at Endzone and Chantilly. I play with them sometimes. And kudos to them for all the hard work to play better and make it to the team. That kind of prep and hard work is not taking performance-enhancing drugs. Uh, Please do not forget, the school is a magnet school for kids who love STEM, have the aptitude, and love working towards it. The student population should reflect that, not the race distribution in the region.
1: The core of this argument seems to be that if these immigrant families can come to this country and work and scrimp and save to help their kids make it into this elite school, isn't that almost the definition of the American dream? Couldn't anyone achieve it if they tried hard enough? Some of the research, though, says that this does not give the whole picture. I called up a scholar who studies this issue, Natasha Waraku. She's a sociology professor at Tufts University, and she wrote a book called The Diversity Bargain and other dilemmas of race, admissions, and meritocracy at elite universities. I played those clips for her from the school board meeting to get her reaction.
0: Um, look, I'm, my parents are immigrants um, from, from India. And, you know, I, I I understand this idea that immigrants come and work incredibly hard and still their belief systems and their children. But I think what um, what the woman is missing is that all parents are doing that. You know, if you, you know, when you when you look at survey data on, you know, kids saying like, you know, uh, uh, my parents ask me to, you know, tell me hard work is important or, you know, my parents put pressure on me. We don't see a lot of differences by race um, in the data. I, you know, I've been doing some research in a suburban community and actually that has um, a pretty significant number of Asian and white um, and um Uh, Black families that are mostly kids who are bused into the district. And the kids who report um, the highest levels of parental pressure are the African-American kids. So I think this idea that other groups don't um, have this hard work ethic, I think, is wrong. um, And I think it's misinformed.
1: But it's not just that many kids are getting this work ethic instilled in them by their folks. It's also that many of the parents from immigrant families arrive in this country with specific backgrounds and skills.
0: Asian immigrant adults in the United States are more likely to have a bachelor's degree than American adults overall. So, um, and the immigrants who are coming with high levels of education um, from places like China, India, Korea, they're coming from educational systems that are test-based, right? And where to get ahead, you have to do well on standardized tests and that's really the only thing that matters um, and the people who make it here are often the people who did really well in those systems right that's how they got to the us in the first place um, and so they bring with them particular skills in you know if we think about testing and testing for admission in a place like Thomas Jefferson like they know how to do that in a way that like They probably know how to do that better than their white neighbors who have college degrees because the white neighbors are used to holistic review, right? And so they are particularly good at that kind of admission. And that's why you'll see Asian-Americans overrepresented at a school like that.
1: And Asian-Americans are in fact overrepresented at TJ. Across the county, they make up 20% of students in public schools, but they're 70% of the TJ student body. At the same time, 27% of the district is Hispanic, 10% 10% Black, but each of those groups makes up just 2% of the students at TJ.
0: And when we see these outcome where there are so few Black and Latino young people, you have to wonder, like, how is this, are, do they really have equal opportunity? Um, you know, if we think excellence is everywhere, then where are those, ex, those Black kids and those Latinx kids who are excellent? They're, they're not there, right? And then we have to say, well, something is amiss here.
1: So what would make T.J. admissions more fair and more diverse? Much of the discussion has focused on the admissions test. And in fact, the school board voted in November to eliminate the T.J. test requirement and start coming up with a new system, looking into things like grades and other information about students in what is known as holistic review. That move to eliminate the test is what drew lawsuits, including one by a parent group called the Coalition for T.J., Their basic argument is that by law, Thomas Jefferson High School is designed to serve gifted students, and that the only way to determine who those students are is through a test. It goes back to the way Alice Gow, that parent we heard from a minute ago, thinks about what TJ is. If it is Mount Everest, maybe it makes sense that only the best climbers should be allowed to make the ascent. But the TJ alumni group pushing for reform, they're challenging that narrative. For one thing, they argue that those test prep companies may not be something that other parents can just replace with extra studying on their own or, or trips to the library.
5: There's a bunch of private uh, providers of, of the test prep academies uh, who, you know, they're trying to offer a service, uh, but they're, uh, they're
1: advertising a certain level of a guarantee. That's Jorge Torrico. His parents immigrated to the US from Bolivia, and he graduated from TJ in 1998.
5: And so, for example, they're advertising that we've got an 80% pass rate. There have been academies uh, in the area that have, um, you know, uh, they recruit their students to then, like, try to memorize what the uh, questions were and then report back. And they built a catalog of questions and answers. And so, all of a sudden, you have the potential of, um, you know, if you go to that academy, their catalog is better versus... You know, if you go, don't go to any academy or you're just maybe never prepared.
1: And he said his family was not able to afford those test prep academies. And he also thinks the test makes everyone feel that like getting into high school is a game that can be won.
5: It really, I think, would free parents and children to focus on learning for learning's sake uh, versus, you know, folk, like really strategizing. How am I going to get to TJ? Because then how am I going to get to the Ivies and how am I going to get to that dream job? Uh, but rather it would encourage them to just focus on what do I like to learn? How can I complement my interests? How can I develop true passions?
1: And there's another argument against the test. Can you really fairly measure who's the best at science and math among a group of thousands of 8th graders? A key part of this is the idea of spurious precision. That's Akshay Devarakonda
3: again a member of the TJ alumni action group we heard from earlier. And there's this idea that we can to a very granular level really like examine this group of 8th graders who are applying and really exactly determine who is worthy quote unquote of admission to TJ and who who else who else may find it a better option to go to their base high school. And Though so we really, because of this concept of spurious precision, we really push back against that.
1: For Akshay, this part of the dialogue is personal. His parents are immigrants from India, and getting into TJ loomed large throughout much of his childhood.
3: I guess a personal anecdote in sixth, in sixth grade, I took this uh, placement test. Everyone took this in, um, in my school's, uh, in my elementary school's uh, sixth grade then. To decide like whether we would go on to algebra one in seventh grade or whether whether we would take it in eighth grade instead, and um, I didn't make the cutoff, so I ended up taking it in eighth grade. But for me, it it seems like so small in retrospect, but I just took it incredibly personally then, and I thought that I was for a long time afterward, even like extending well into TJ. I just thought I was like inherently. Inferior to other people, that I wasn't as good as other people, just because I was like a year
1: behind in math, quote unquote. Just to be clear, he fell behind in advanced math, meaning he wasn't on the most accelerated math track possible at his school. And this made him question his worth and his smarts.
3: <laughs> the idea of like taking algebra in eighth grade made me like behind is in me like something I. I just like look back on years later. I'm like, what were you thinking then? (laughs) But um, when there is like such high stakes attached to whether or not a child gets in, it I just can't help but recall myself at that time. And because I think it then kind of the issue of whether or not someone gets in a TJ just kind of metastasizes into this like larger like moral judgment or like larger like referendum on them as a person, whereas it's,
1: it's just a high school. Like many kids he knew, he took a four-to-six-week test prep class to prepare for that TJ test. And he remembers feeling over the moon, as he put it, when he got a thick acceptance envelope in the mail from the TJ admissions office. But after graduating from William & Mary and getting back from three years abroad in the Gambia as part of a Peace Corps stint, and after George Floyd's murder, he was looking for ways to address systemic racism. He started turning up at school board meetings. And he's been doing research on the issue of admissions reform. And he's come to believe that TJ's really good at getting students who know how to answer certain questions in a certain way. But he wonders whether the school would actually be better if it found a way to get classes of students with a broader mix of perspectives. There's this
3: notion of, I guess this like notion of like rugged individualism throughout American history and in American culture, this idea that if you just pull yourself up by your bootstraps, then everything will work out. But really, mindset that we're trying to promote when we talk about equity, TJ, is this idea of collective merit. The idea like merit is not dependent on just one individual, but how different groups collaborate and learn well from each other. There's, like, synergistic effect when you have, when you, when, when you make sure that different groups have seats at the table.
1: And that benefits everybody, really. What if TJ's quest to remain this Mount Everest based on a rigid set of measures makes it less good at its mission? What if the whole framework of trying to select only the most elite-driven students... Isn't actually even serving those students very well. That's been a key point for another of those TJ alumni activists, Rachel Lay, who graduated from Thomas Jefferson High School in 1996.
2: What the U.S. has to offer to the world is diversity, and I think that when we don't uh, take that into account, we are really, you know, selling ourselves short. We are uh, we are not playing to our strengths, and. Um, And I think that it's to everybody's best interest that we really reimagine merit um, beyond the narrow ways that we've been
1: defining it. So what if there was a change in the narrative around what school systems ought to value when it comes to designing their magnet schools? That still leaves the question of how do you create a better admissions process that's more fair and better promotes diversity? One solution proposed by the school board was a merit lottery. Essentially, you use a review process to identify which students meet the qualifications, and then you enter all those students in a lottery to decide who gets the slots. Plenty of people talk about problems with lotteries, though. They can be hard to design so that they meet the diversity goals, but don't have so many rules and exceptions that they kind of water down the whole point of the lottery. And if you watch the YouTube video of a rally hosted in October by the Coalition for TJ, you'll see that most of the signs being waived by parents Focus on the lottery as the biggest objection. Don't gamble with education, one of them said. Reward hard work, not luck. In the end, though, they did eliminate the test, but in December they scrapped this idea of a lottery. Just like many elite colleges do it, they decided to focus on a holistic review. They also scrapped the $100 admissions fee, and they said that the top-performing students from each middle school in the district, those in the top 1.5%, will be eligible for admission. T.J. is now finishing its first admissions process under this new system. And the report on how diverse that class is is expected to be released in June. This policy and admissions fight can start to feel technical, with legal questions over the school's charter and research about testing. But after talking to so many people about this, I came to realize this passion you hear from so many is because it's ultimately not a technical battle. It's a fight over what exactly this country should stand for a fight over American values. And the two sides often seem pretty far apart. And so to see if I could close some of that gap, I invited Alice Gow and Jorge Torrico back to my virtual studio to talk directly with each other. What you hear is that they both believe that the answer lies in the history of people struggling to achieve something in this country. And they were both trying to find common ground. They just kept disagreeing on what the struggle means precisely. For Alice, that struggle starts with the history of her own family.
4: I am who I am today, is because many, many decades ago, my mom, who was working the countryside side, right, had no paper, no pencil, uh, not no resources. Uh, she went to school. She stuck with school. Uh, she was being the girl, being discriminated, but somehow she made it through, and she was always top of the class. She never touched a pencil until she went to middle school. There was no scratch paper. Her wall was just a mud wall. That was the blackboard. There was no table. It was just a cut open timber on the ground. And the temperature outside, temperature inside the little shed called school was the same. She had a vision. And before she had a vision, her parents had a vision. So if we trace there, then we know who I am today is not by chance. It's not something I want it. I see it. I want what you have. It's somebody, the generation's, ahead are willing to do some kind of sacrifice so what I want to mention is instead of solving problems at symptoms at the results or the results we see there's a disparity results we see there are huge you know um, unbalanced Asian representation in TJ that's the results How about the the vision the cause that results how about the original core value the cause that, caused that Uh, results. How about that? If we focus on that, then we can solve problems, society's problems, the big problems, because big problems take decades to solve.
1: But Jorge wants to start the story with the struggles of peoples at the very founding of this country.
5: I very much agree that the why is important, right? And I want to tie it back to um, something that Ms. Guo said earlier, talking about the declaration of independence all men are created equal the you know how this country was founded and everything else the why the why is that this country was not founded the words say all men were created equal but the implementation was not that all men were created equal women were not equal black people were not equal indigenous people were not equal only white male property owners were equal you know. And the
4: Asian, so uh, the Chinese, uh, uh, real, uh, real world workers yeah. were not equal. They were cruel. That is correct.
5: Yes. Yep. The, the Chinese were, were the first
4: because they have to go back to China after they finish a hard job here. Well, they so can't even it, reside here in the U.S.
5: Yeah, I think in 1878 they had a law that they prevented Chinese women from immigrating to the U.S. because they, first of all, they they mischaracterized or they lied about what Chinese women would be. They they only sh- showed yeah. them as being prostitutes and things like that, which is totally wrong right? Yes, this country has had a lot of racist history, right? Uh, So, the why... And that's why why
4: people all over the world still want to come to this country, because it's so unjust.
5: (laughs) Uh, You know, well, so I think that what happens is that, you know, it's also a really strong capital, capitalist country, right? And so, capitalism and money, you know, the opportunity, it's still there. It's still... Uh,
4: I would still say, Jorge, sorry to interrupt you. Just real quick, uh, the fact that we are having this conversation, um, that I'm here talking to you, I still feel because America, if it's not destroyed uh, too soon, uh, has a lot of liberty. And I came to America because I felt I had more freedom to speech. So the fact I know is uh, immigrants all over the world come to America because America is not because America is a racially discriminating countries country because in China if you go from one province to another province you have certain accent you have certain hair your eyes look certain ways you get this, you know uh, the discriminating comments that's way of life if we what we want if we want to spend our energy split every hair we cannot move. There's nothing because everything you said you can validate it. But everything I said you I can also validate it. People need to go beyond this. The time when I believe American Dream is over, when I believe this is a truly racist country, is when I see boatloads of Americans going to other country. Let's go try to go back to China. Let's go to Africa. Let's all go back to South America. Then I know then I know American dream is dead. Until that day, the reality is it's not a perfect society. We nobody said America is perfect. We want founding fathers to be saints. Never own. They did what they did. But on the other hand, they wrote Declaration of Independence. They created a system that was a hundred years of a miracle. It's called the difference. The four different power systems are separated so that they can provide as much just justice to as many people as possible. Nobody said they were perfect
1: so alice jorge and i had been on zoom for a while at this point and we'd actually run out of time but i wanted jorge to finish that point that he'd been making earlier we'd been touching on the protests that have been happening about racial injustice and his final thought was about how those protests connect back to all these issues of equity and what public school is even for
5: um yeah people aren't protesting for just for 200 years ago People are protesting because of things that are happening now. People come to the U.S. because of the U.S. film and cinema industry that shows that it's the land of opportunity. That's the myth, right? But that myth can be possible. I I would say in so many ways right now, China has, when I go to East Asia right now, when I go to Korea or Japan, there's so many things that are the future in comparison to the U.S. Um, So I think, you know, people will still come. I'm happy for that. I want to welcome them. I want to give them our opportunities. And as a public school and public school system, I'll keep on working to help everyone so that regardless of how they were born, where they were born, to who their parents are, how much resources their parents have, how intentional their parents are, that they have equal opportunities to public school resources.
1: Next time on Bootstraps, we go back to the second grade and look at when kids typically get tested for gifted and talented programs. And we learn about how that idea of tracking got started. This has been Bootstraps, a joint production of EdSurge and Open Campus. We'll be putting out new installments every month. So make sure to subscribe to catch future episodes. If you like the show, please take a minute to rate, review, or share. This episode was written and produced by me, Jeff Young. And you can find me on Twitter at JRYoung. Editing by Scott Smallwood and Rob McKinley Myers, And thanks to those who we talked to that didn't make it into this episode, including Rebecca Zwick. Thanks also to Rebecca Koenig and Sarah Hebel. The music in this episode is by Blue Dot Sessions. The sound of the rocket launch was in fact the audio from the actual launch of TJ CubeSat, the satellite designed by students at Thomas Jefferson High School. And the short clip of protesters you heard um, is from a YouTube video of a rally that was organized by the Coalition for TJ back in October. The interview clip with Scott Brabrandt was used by permission from WAMU's Kojo Namdi show. And thanks to American University, which runs that radio station, for letting us use the clip. We were not able to get into all the many details of proposals and arguments made in the debate. But for those who do want to dig in... You can find websites online for the Coalition for TJ and for the TJ Alumni Action Group. And we link to those and more background information at our show page at edsurge.com. If you like this podcast series, check out the weekly EdSurge podcast, which you can find wherever you get podcasts. Stay tuned for more in the Bootstrap series. We'll see you then. Thanks for listening.